Acts chapter 28. Let's do the smart thing and let's pray before we get into this. Good to be here this morning, Lord. We're thankful for this. I just keep thinking of that last song, Because He Lives, what great words that is. Uh, I just pray, Lord, you would help us to get our hearts prepared for communion this morning and for what you have to say. You teach, we listen. In your name, amen. Uh, Just want to give a quick update here. I mentioned last Sunday asking for prayer about us heading up to Dearborn to help do a VBS up out there to um, the Muslim population up there. I can't remember if Dearborn has the largest Muslim population in the United States or is the largest percentage of Muslims, but I texted Pastor George, who runs it up there, just for the details. He, and some neat praise the Lord's here. He goes, on Monday the 23rd, there was around 80 Muslim children and their mothers. On Tuesday, they had 85 kids and 38 moms. And on Wednesday, 94 kids, 42 moms, and 7 dads. That's a big deal for the dads um, to come in. These moms go through the program a lot of time with the kids. And as we're up there. And one of the memory verses was like Ephesians 2.8. You're, you're quoting these verses and reading it with them. And they're memorizing these verses. And the first worship song they started out with was, um, Oh, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. And any of the words, you know, he came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, our debt to pay, from the cross to the grave. These kids are singing it. A 10-year-old accepted Christ. A 15-year-old said he would like to leave Islam and make himself right with God. So keep that in prayer. Keep that in prayer. Already Acts 28, Lord willing, time when we're going to finish up our study in Acts. And I believe it was last August that we started our book in Acts. And if you remember correctly, and we started our study in Acts, we said part of the reason why we're going through this is there was a season of change coming up for a church. We mentioned at that time last August that Richard was going to be retiring, and we were praying about what the future holds for that. What's the vision? Do we replace Richard? What does that look like for the Lord to raise up people? And we're still in that process of prayer, and we continue to pray for that, for just wisdom and guidance here. Richard retired a couple months ago, and we want God's perfect plan, God's perfect people, and um, we'll go from there. And I know a lot of people in the body of Christ have stepped up and done a lot of things, and we appreciate that greatly as we're in this season of seeing where the Lord's leading. We also talked about the Signet study. They actually started meeting up and did a uh, full study through the book of Mark, and uh, we're meeting on Tuesdays. I think they're taking the summer off and praying about continuing that up. There's a desire over there to see that go into a church, so we ask for continued prayer. And we talked about possibly adding on, just prayers for wisdom. Does the Lord want us to add on? We have some space issues in some places. What's the best use of God's money? And we're still in the process of that. So I think it's important every now and then just to report back in on those things that we ask you to pray for as we're finishing up here the book of Acts. Because if you remember, when we started the book of Acts, we said, I want you to stop and think that you knew nothing about church, knew nothing about how a church was supposed to be, and you just were studying Acts and looking at how they did it. Is this the way we'd want to see the church run? Because in Acts, you see this heart of evangelism, this heart of discipleship, um, people getting baptized, people being saved, and just going out there boldly proclaiming Christ. And that's the church we want to be, boldly proclaiming Christ. I see so many churches spend so much time and emphasis on growing themselves rather than growing themselves in Christ Jesus. The goal is to decrease in the sense of in Christ increase. It's not about us. It's not about harvest. It's about Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to see glorified. So in Acts 28, we're going to finish this up. Once again, Lord willing, time willing, and finish with communion here. Um, If you haven't been with us last few weeks, just to kind of put you where we're at, Paul was just shipwrecked on the island Malta. 
Now, that's where he's at, and he's getting ready to go into Rome. The reason he's going into Rome, and this has been going on for over two years now, he was arrested back in Jerusalem at the temple, made accusations against him that he was trying to rebel against uh, Jerusalem, excuse me, against Israel. No, not against the Jewish faith. So therefore, he got a chance to witness to the Jewish mob. They tried to kill him. He got a chance to witness to the Jewish uh, authorities. Then they wanted to kill him. Then he got a chance to witness to the Roman governor. Then the Roman governor and King Agrippa. God just kept using him mightily. And God said, Paul, I'm going to send you to Rome now. And you get to take the gospel over there. So Paul gets on the ship to go to Rome. And the ship gets shipwrecked. And we spent a lot of time a couple weeks ago talking about shipwrecks in life. How shipwrecks can derail you, but God can actually use those shipwrecks. John Corson teaches on this, and he says, you got to remember when you have storms in life, there are storms either to correct you or to perfect you. To perfect you, to take you deeper in your walk with Christ. To correct you, you're on the wrong path, and you need a shipwreck to get your attention. So Paul has this shipwreck, and instead of whining and moaning and crying as he's getting bit by snakes, if you were with us last week, next thing you know, he's leading people to Christ. What an example in the midst of a storm. So now the winter season is over. They're getting back on a new boat, heading to Rome. Remember, he's still a prisoner for his trial. Verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figureheads were the twin brothers, which had withered at the island. This had been a Roman ship. It had uh, pictures of Zeus's sons on it. Verse 12, and landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Petulia, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days and so we went toward Rome and from there when the brethren had heard about us they came to meet us as far as at by forum in three ends when Paul saw them he thanked God and took courage now when we came to Rome the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him there's a lot of names and towns in there from verse 12 on you probably at the back of your bible have a map we've mentioned this before of Paul's missionary's journey this would be Paul's fourth missionary journey you can look back there when you get bored this morning and kind of see the different places that Paul went in different locations etc point is is that he ends up at Rome this has been prophesied Paul you're going to go to Rome You're not going to die in the shipwreck. You're not going to be killed by these people. You're going to go to Rome. And we've said many times before how Paul had to, in faith, believe that that was going to happen in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the mobs. If you've ever read the beginning of Romans 1, Paul had a heart's desire to go see the people at Rome. He loved them with never meeting them. He got to go to Rome. He went to Rome in chains. Sometimes the Lord leads you down a path and you get to accomplish what your heart's desire is for the glory of God. It just may not be the path you expected. But Paul is in Rome, and he gets to take the gospel to Rome now. Now, there's a couple little details here I want to mention. I think it's interesting in verse 15 as it mentions these towns. They came to meet us as far as at by forum in three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. It's interesting wording there because they're stressing how far away they were. They came to meet us as far as. God never puts anything in the Bible unless it's for a purpose. He wants us to know the distance here. So if you look this up on a map, these guys traveled 30 to 40 miles. Now, 30 to 40 miles doesn't seem like a big deal for us. We'll go 30, 40 miles to see a movie, to see a show, to go to some some event, maybe even go out to eat. But we're also driving that. We're not walking that. This would have been quite the trek for these people to come to do this. And when they showed up, verse 15, Paul thanked God and took courage. That word took courage is an interesting word in the Greek. It means that he became bolder. This is fascinating. They said, hey, Paul's near. He's 30, 40 miles away. It's going to take us a long time to get there. But we need to go see Paul. So they're blessed to see Paul. And next thing you know, Paul's blessed to see them. Everybody walks away bolder, stronger, and they're walking in relationship with Christ. This is the way it's supposed to be. 
I tell you, I don't know how many times I've done a hospital visit and you walk in and it's sad, it's difficult, it's hard, and then you walk out and everybody's blessed because the body of Christ encourages one another. Remember what the definition of fellowship is. Fellowship is not just Christians, believers getting together and talking about world events. It's believers, Christians getting together and encouraging one another to go deeper and go bolder in their walk and relationship with Christ. That's what fellowship really is. And you see this happening here in verse 15. They walked away encouraged in the Lord. Now, once again, the stress in verse 15 is how far it is. That's a long ways. This is something that I see a lot in my life and also just in the church. We want everything to be as comfortable and convenient as we can. And sometimes there's a 30 to 40 mile journey that's really going to bless somebody. And is it worth it? We have to trust that it is. It's hard. You know, in the 20 years that I've been out here, these are little things I've seen. On a whim, we will go see a movie. We'll go out to eat. We'll go to an event with very little planning. Maybe your spouse says to you, hey, you know what sounds good? Let's go out to eat. Sure, give me about 20 minutes. Take a quick shower, change my clothes. We're ready to go. Maybe somebody calls you up and says, hey, I know it's short notice, but would you guys want to this evening? Yeah, yeah, sure, give us a little bit. It's amazing what we're willing to do on a whim. But when we have a church event coming up, we got to announce it at least three weeks in advance for you guys. It's amazing how we'll plan events six months in the future. We'll plan a vacation, a getaway, etc. But once again, if we come and say, hey, I want to let you know we're starting this up in about a month. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can commit to that. It's amazing how as well, too, as we get into sports season here, we will expect kids, we'll expect us as adults to drive them to and from. We'll go five nights a week, two hours a night, possibly on Saturdays. We'll devote that many hours to that. But when it comes to maybe service, ministry, small groups, Bible studies, it's like, ah, I just don't got the time. And I see in verse 15, boy, 30, 40 miles to go encourage Paul, to be encouraged by Paul. We're willing to do it. And I just want us to sometimes stop and say, okay, Lord, what's really the most important thing? Are any of those things wrong? No, none of those things are wrong. It's not wrong to plan a getaway. It's not wrong to be involved in those activities. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens, though, when we allow other things of the spiritual, deeper, eternal nature to get pushed off to the side. We just sometimes just got to be careful about those type of things because what you see here is these people saying, we want to encourage, bless, and go deeper with one another. And I tell you, that is a time commitment. And that's another phrase we're going to get into here in a little bit is taking the time to do it. So verse 17, he's now in Rome. Please remember verse 16, though, Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Please remember that phrase. Verse 17, came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Paul says this, hey, listen, I'm not against you guys. I'm actually for you guys. The prophets, Moses, preached about the Messiah to come. I have met the Messiah to come. His name is Jesus, so I am not fighting you in any way whatsoever. I'm for you, verse 18, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. There's no reason for me to be in these chains, verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. He goes, I'm not taking on Israel. I'm not taking on Judaism. By me appealing to Caesar and to Rome, it's not that I'm against you guys, but this is what I needed to do because they were going to kill me. 
Verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you. For the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this chain. He goes, that's why I wanted to talk to you guys. Now, you're going to be introduced to a word here in verse 20. We're going to come back to a lot. That word in verse 20 is hope. Please remember that. Verse 21, that they said to him, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who have come reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, Christianity, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after. Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Israel, the prophet to our fathers, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear. And you shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their heart and turn so I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. When they had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now we have to go back and break this down a little bit here. I want you to see the first thing. I like back in verse 17, Paul says, I want to talk to you guys about this. I want to talk to you. Bring them together and say, let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation. We don't have to fight. We don't have to argue. We're going to talk. That's what it is. I just want to encourage you that whenever you go out, any conversation you have, just be purposeful with it. In the back of your mind, when the waitress is there, or the cashier, or whoever, just in the back of your mind saying, Lord, open a door. Just say hi to them. Just see what happens. Say hi. If the Lord starts a conversation, then I am purposefully ready, Lord, to, to plant a seed, to represent Jesus Christ, to see where this goes. Sometimes they want to talk, sometimes they don't. That's why we're called fishers of men. No one bites the hook, what do you do? Reel it in, cast it out again, and see what happens. You're not going to get a bite every time. But when the Lord opens a door, you are purposely ready to talk, to see what it is. We had some time before the VBS started on Monday. So they came to us and said, hey, we got a couple hours to kill here. You want to do a little bit of door-to-door, take the flyers out. You just knock on the door and you basically say, hey, we're inviting the kids to a local uh, children's church, kids club. And then also there is a barbecue on Wednesday for the entire community. So that's what you just go up to the door, you knock. And if they open it, you just kind of invite the kids. And if they have kids, you talk about the kids club, the VBS. And then if you want, you can go ahead and invite them Wednesday to the meal. So we were going door-to-door doing this in Dearborn, and there was a guy that pulled in. He was getting out. One of the other groups went up to him and said, hey, kids club coming up. He goes, I, I don't have any kids. Okay, didn't want to talk. Okay, well, we're having a community barbecue. If you want to come out to the church, um, I'm an atheist, not interested in any way whatsoever. So that group walked away, but he said the A word, atheist. I love, I love talking to atheists. I just find, because they are publicly right from the beginning. I mean, just imagine that. Hi, I'm James. I'm an atheist. You just went right from the beginning to everybody know I don't believe in God. If they're that open to say they don't believe in God, well, then let's talk about this. So I went over to him and I said, I'm not trying to bait. I'm not trying to argue. Know my heart. I said, but I heard you say you're an atheist. I said, I am fascinated by this. I said, why are you an atheist? And he goes, there's no evidence. Okay, that's what you typically hear. I said, okay, no evidence. I said, so we're standing outside and I looked at the trees. I said, creation, trees. He goes, that was an accident. 
Okay, gotcha. Okay. I said, but when you look up into the skies, the heavens declare the glory and the majesty of God. He goes, that's science. I said, I love science. I agree with science. The, 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 the planets have an orbit. There's gravity. I, we, I said, I like astronomy. I said, how do you think all that happened? He said the word again. It was an accident. I said, what about you? He goes, accident. I said, okay. I said, boy, that's kind of a sad life to have, that everything is just an accident. Because that's just the way it is. And I said, okay, but hold on. What about this? I said, have you ever seen accidents create order? Order shows that there's more. I said, if you take your car and I take my car and we just go out in the street here and we just keep ramming our cars into each other, that's going to create chaos, not order. No order comes out of accidents. And you just started to think. And, that's, and I saw right there the light bulb go on and I saw that he was thinking and I thought, okay, there's a dent in the armor. Seed has been planted. And I just said, that's what I want you to think about. Accidents don't create order. There is a God. There's a creation. There's an order to this. And I said, you need to think about that. Because if your whole life system is based on I'm an accident created out of chaos, it doesn't happen. But you just got to be open. Let the Lord lead. See where God goes. Start the conversation. And that's what I appreciate about Paul. Hey, let's just talk and see where this goes. So after you're willing to talk about it, verse 17, what happens next? Verse 22, accept the fact that we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Please just remember this, Christians. The world hates you. The world hates you. Now, we we live in a very Christian area. We're meeting here freely. We're meeting here openly. Amen. And we're thankful for that. There's many places in the world you can't do that. As a world system, Christianity is hated because we're automatically saying that billions of people are not going to heaven. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And so you have to accept the fact that you are going to be spoken against in verse 22. We are the moral minority when it comes to many issues now. We need to understand that when it comes to raising our children, taking a stand publicly. When you talk about things at work, you are going to be the minority on most moral issues. Now this is new to us. Because we always thought we were the moral majority, but 2,000 years ago, they were already talking against Christianity. We need to understand that and accept that. That's why the Bible says it's a battle. That's why in Ephesians 6, you're supposed to have your armor on. So what do you do now when you run into people that disagree? Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him as lodging to whom he explained. Expound. Explain what you believe and why you believe it. I believe as a Christian, you should be able to understand why you're saved, why you chose Christianity, and you should be able to explain that to people. So when somebody comes up and says, how is one saved? You can explain that. If somebody comes up and says, why are you a Christian? You can explain that. Let's build on this. Go with me to 1 Peter 3, please. 1 Peter 3. We should be able to explain and expound what we believe, why we believe, how we believe it. 1 Peter 3, 15. 1 Peter three fifteen says this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give a defense of what you believe and why you believe it. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and say, I can't, I can't. 
This is why we have discipleships. This is why we have small groups. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why you can call us, text us. We'll get together with you. We'll sit down with you. We'll talk to you. We'll help explain it, answer questions, so then you can go out. Our job is to equip you to go out there and do this. And we're supposed to have a defense of the gospel. Now, please know when it says a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope. Remember I said, remember that word, hope. A lot of times when it comes to apologetics or defending the faith, people want to get into these really deep theological debates. According to verse 15, I'm supposed to have a reason for the hope that I have. That I hope I don't go to hell. That I hope there's something more to life than just this. I hope this isn't the body I have for the rest of my life. I hope there's a reason for me being here and I'm not just an accident. There is a hope to what I do. And this is something the Lord wants us to build on. Keep your hand here in 1 Peter 3.15. We're coming back. Go with me to Romans 5 now. When you really are talking to someone and proclaiming the gospel to them, what you're really giving them is hope. Because without the gospel, gospel means good news. Without the good news, people are going to hell. There is no hope. When we proclaim what Jesus did for us on the cross and saved us from hell, that's the hope we have. And this is an ongoing theme that you see in the Bible. It's this idea of hope. If you're a note taker, write it down. You don't have to turn there. Romans 15, 13 says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God calls himself the God of hope. He wants to abound. You do abound in hope. He wants you to have a reason and a purpose. So let's break this down. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore... Having been justified by faith. Justified is a fancy word. Heard Chuck Swindoll say this one time. I'll steal it from him. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. You are made right with God. You're justified by faith. I did not see Christ on the cross. I was not there when he died. I have not seen the empty tomb. In faith, I believe this happened. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have peace with God. We forget this. That when you're not saved, you do not have peace with God the Father. Sin separates us. Now I have been made right through Christ. I have peace. Verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now through faith I have grace. Grace is a wonderful word. It literally means gift. I have been given grace. I have been given a gift of salvation. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And now I have joy in my life because I have hope in God's glory. There's something more than right here right now. That there's a glorified heaven. I get a glorified body. I get to inherit the riches of heaven. I have hope in that. And not only that, verse 3, we also glory in tribulations. Because why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. And character, here's our word again, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. See, the key is hope. I'm not saying don't study out creation. I'm not saying don't go study out theology, how the Bible came to us. Those are all important things to know when it comes to having a defense of the gospel. But you're giving a defense of the hope that is in you. That there's more to life than what we see right here and right now. And I hope you have that hope that there is a heaven and you are going to it through Christ. Now jump back to 1 Peter 3.15. How am I supposed to do the defense of the gospel? Verse 15 again, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's how I'm supposed to present this hope. There's a fear of God 
And there's a meekness. Now, meek to us means weak. That's what the word means now. But meekness in a biblical term is not weak in any way whatsoever. It's power under control. That when you go out and share Christ with somebody, you're representing that hope and a meekness and a godly fear of God. A lot of times people go out and represent truth, but they don't represent truth in love. You know, we were talking with some of the people out there that do outreach to Muslims, and we were talking about some of the other groups that do outreach to Muslims, and they like to go stand outside mosques, and they like to have huge billboard signs of dead pigs just to get the Muslims worked up. They have huge signs that say Muhammad was a pedophile. Now, the way George does it, he's got this phrase he used. He goes, I'm not going to cut your nose off and ask you to smell the flowers. He says, let's go talk to them. And so that to me is meekness and fear. I could have went up to that atheist in Dearborn and said, oh, you're an atheist. Yeah, I'm an atheist. Well, I hope you like hell because that's where you're going. And I could have walked away. That's biblical. That's truth. But that's not love. And I think sometimes we got the truth down. We got the defense down. But we forget the meekness and fear part of it. And that's the full idea there of presenting the gospel. Paul could have gathered these Jews together in Rome and said, Hey, I just want to let you guys all know you're wrong. I'm right. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. No, he says, I'm going to give a defense. I'm going to explain what I believe. And not only explain it, go back now to Acts 28. Look what he does. Go back to verse 23. Sets a time to do this explains it to him, verse 23, then tries to persuade them. Let me tell you now why you need this hope. There's a persuasion that happens. That I am passionate about what I believe, and I want you to be passionate about it too, because I believe in the gospel and the hope that it has. And how am I going to persuade them? With the law of Moses and the prophets, God's word. Always go back to God's word. I'm not against, I've read books, I've been to training seminars of, hey, try this to share your faith, try this to share your faith. There can be some fruit in that. But ultimately what it comes down to is it's God's word. That doesn't return void. That's what you use, that's what you present, and that's why it's so important to know our scriptures. I know it's a lot of work. And you may say, I don't have time. Can you look at the last one here? Persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. We have time. We just choose to use our time on other things. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. As I, I have time. You know, one of the things the Lord's really showed me here lately is that passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, you are not your own, you are bought at a price. And I know I've shared this with you a lot. I'm not my own. I need to also let go of time. When I get up in the morning, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, the day is yours. Lead me, guide me, direct me. The day is yours. Now, some of you may say, okay, James, you have flexibility on that. I do have a lot of flexibility with what I do. Some of you may say, hey, the day is mine, but at 6 o'clock I need to be at work. Right. Guess what? You're a missionary then. Go represent Jesus Christ at work. But it's amazing the amount of time we actually do have. And I see Paul saying in verse 23, from morning till evening, I will invest the time into these people to explain, to persuade. And guess what happens? Verse 24 some were persuaded, some disbelieved. You just got to accept that. Some are going to accept it. Some are going to reject it. Once again, fishers of men, reel it back in, cast again, see if somebody bites the hook. Just keep doing it. Don't get frustrated. Remember what Jesus said. When they reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. We can't take it personal. I'm an ambassador representing Jesus Christ, and I just go speak truth, 
and I hope they accept it. And if they don't, I keep praying for them. I keep witnessing, but I got to keep casting to see who is going to bite. So they didn't agree. They depart. Then Paul says this to them. There's some powerful words here in 26 and 27. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Paul says, listen, you guys hear me, but you don't hear me. You guys see it, but you really don't see it. That idea in verse 26 that hearing you will hear and not understand. And it says the hearts of this people have grown dull. Depending on your translation, dull, hardened, calloused. If you're good old King James out there, waxed gross. Which means become thick, become fattened. We're so fattened by this world and our own selfish desires, we don't hear it anymore. This is a dangerous place to be. To be deaf and blind spiritually. Now, that's the world out there. That's why it's so important to pray that their eyes are open, that the veil is lifted, and their ears are open. You've got to pray that, because you know the Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts, so that way when the door is open, you can go in and plant the seed. But guys, we've got to be honest. A lot of the deaf and a lot of the blind also come to church. They sit, and they have their Bible open. They be marking verses, underlining things, and they're hearing it. And they just go home and live the life just like the world does. They're seeing it, God move, and they go home and live the life just like the world does. Guys, that's a scary place to be. It's a lot like Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw these amazing miracles of the plagues, but the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Scary place to be. And I just, I want to ask you, this is why we're finishing with communion today. Are you hearing but really not hearing? Are you seeing but really not seeing? Has, has your heart become dull? Has your ears become hard of hearing? I don't want that. And I sometimes get concerned that we sit here in a church and we hear the stuff, we praise the songs, we do all this, but then nothing really changes. I'm not preaching some legalism of things have to change. I'm preaching that when your heart is touched by Christ, hopefully the lifestyle follows that as well to say, Lord, I want things to be different because I'm really serving and following you and all that I say and all that I do. The hardness of heart and the hardness of hearing is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And that's what we want to kind of finish with as we get ready to communion. I just got two more things to say real quick. One of them is real quick. Take a look at just verses 30 and 31. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Keep your hand here, we're coming back, but can you go with me to Philippians 1 real quick? Philippians 1. This now has been going on for four years. Two years at Caesarea, awaiting trial, never happened. Shipwrecked, and then two years now in Rome, awaiting trial. Now, he was in his own home. He wasn't in the dungeon at this time, but what we can piece together in Acts, he's still chained to a prison guard. No freedoms when it comes to that. Yes, he can have visitors. Yes, he can do some stuff, but you're really not free. So what would you do after four years? Four years of a shipwreck, being bit by snakes, being almost killed by a mob twice, people putting death threats on you. Would you keep proclaiming the gospel? After a few years, would you stop and say, I'm done with this, I'm tired? Well, Philippians gives us a hint of what Paul did during his time of being chained to a Roman guard. Philippians 1 verse 12. This is a prison epistle written while he was in this imprisonment, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things that which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. 
And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 13. Hey, guys, I got the palace guard saved. Hey, I got a new, new guard today. Hey, my name is Paul. Have you met Jesus? We're chained together for 24 hours. I'll get you saved and I'll get the next guy tomorrow. That's the way Paul looked at it. And not only that, it did not only bless Paul, verse 14, the other brethren heard it and they said, if Paul, while chained, can proclaim the gospel, what can I do while free? See, that's the way it's supposed to be. The body of Christ encourages the body of Christ. This is why we share testimonies. Is that way you stop and say, wow, look what the Lord's doing. I want to be part of that. So, Lord, I want to go use me, guide me, and then I want to go proclaim your goodness, God, and what you're doing. And then, then somebody else gets encouraged and blessed. The next thing you know, it's this just wave going out. That's the way it's supposed to be. But we got to be willing to do it. And here's our last point before we get into communion. Jump back to Acts 28. We mentioned verse 15, just a reminder. They came as far away as Appi Forum in three ends, 30 to 40 miles away. We mentioned in 26 and 27 about how they had ears, but they didn't hear. They had a heart, but it wasn't opened. And how that's a dangerous place to be. I was coming across a devotional that talked about this. And it mentions in Matthew. If you remember the story in Matthew when the magi or the wise men show up when Jesus is born. They show up to King Herod and they said, hey, we come to worship the king of the Jews. Herod's a little taken back by this because Herod's the king of the Jews. No, we're not here to see you. We heard he was just born. So Herod grabs his scribes, which are experts in the Old Testament law, and says, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And the scribes come back and say, Bethlehem. So Herod goes to the wise men and says, hey, it's in Bethlehem. And the wise men say, we're going to go visit. Wise men say, come visit with us. Herod says, ah, you go visit. I'll come back and visit later. Now, Bethlehem to Jerusalem is only six miles. That's all it is, six miles. And Herod wouldn't get up off his throne to go six miles to see the real king of the Jews. The scribes that are experts that knew where the Messiah would be born, Bethlehem, they nailed it. They wouldn't go six miles to go see him. I found this devotional about this. It says this, it was so close, only six miles away. If they knew that the Messiah was to be born there, why didn't they go and check it out for themselves? The Magi knew so little, came so far, gave up so much. Magi traveled at least a year, maybe a year and a half. The teachers of the law, the scribes, knew so much, were so near, and did so little. It was only such a short journey, only six miles. And he goes, and I'm writing these words from my home. So I'll state the matter in local terms. I put in local towns just to make it relevant for us. If Jesus came to Dashler, would we go see him? If someone said that Jesus was in Holgate, would we stop what we're doing? If Jesus showed up in Melinda, would we go and greet him? What if Jesus came to Lipsick or Grilton? Would we be too busy to go see him? Only six miles. And that's the thing that sometimes concerns me a little bit. Is we live in a society where it's so easy. I mean, you probably have multiple Bibles at home. You have gobs of pastors that you can watch on TV, listen to online. I'm in my car right now. I have six different Christian radio stations that I can get in. There's multiple services, small groups, devotionals. There's all this available to us. But yet, our heart keeps getting harder and sometimes our ears keep getting duller. It's a scary place to be. And so what I want to finish with is this. The Lord will take you as deep as you want to go. It's not a legalism. It's not a have to. I hope it's a want to. And what I want to do is finish with communion to say, okay, what what do you want? What do you want? If you want to grow and go deeper, it's here. It's available. It's ready. Let's do this together. 
Because I don't ever want us to become the body of Christ with the dull heart and the heart of hearing. Oh yeah, we know it, we mark it, we underline it, and you can look at our bulletin, we are really busy. But I want us to be a God-fearing congregation that loves the Lord and wants to see people grow and go deeper in Christ. And that's our prayer. So as we get ready here, if the guys that are helping with communion, if the kids want to come in and the worship team...